Reinvest in your wellness goals this spring with savings on supplements. March 14th and 15th only, I'll be offering 10% off all products in my online full script supplement dispensary. March 14th and 15th, two days only, get 10% off and free shipping on my entire inventory of top supplements at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. It's the safest and most convenient way to purchase my curated supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast, free shipping and optional refill reminders via text or email. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. It's safe, secure, and includes world-class customer service. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com for 10% off and free shipping for two days only, March 14th and 15th. That's DearHoffmanStore.com, DearHoffmanStore.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today we're going to discuss uh, how to optimize your performance athletically and, in general, talk about longevity and anti-aging with an extraordinary individual. He's Dr. David Minkoff. Dr. Minkoff uh, started practicing conventional medicine, but in 1997 founded LifeWorks Wellness Center, He made the leap to integrative and alternative medicine, and uh, he practices uh, a wide variety of natural therapies in order to help his patients. But uh, what's particularly extraordinary about Dr. Minkoff, caught my attention, he's passionate about fitness, and at the age of 72, he has completed numerous full Ironman triathlons, plans to do another one this year. Uh, continues to race. Uh, He's done the Kona World Championships eight times, uh, and uh, he's certainly optimizing his genetic potential, and we want to delve into how he sustains such a high-level performance. So, Dr. Minkoff, it's a pleasure having you on Intelligent Medicine. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman. Uh, You've been one of my mentors, and I'm a fan of yours. I love your weekly newsletter. I read it and learn from it. Um, So I'm very happy to talk to you because I've, you know, you have been a you've been a mentor to me, even though we hadn't really formally met before. So this is a pleasure. That's wonderful to hear. But I'm in awe of your accomplishments, and you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm several years your junior. Uh, and nowhere near as accomplished as you. And, you know, I have to say that uh, as I age, uh, you know, natural process, um, you know, it, it's a little harder to sustain the high levels of training uh, and to avert injuries so that I can keep competing in triathlons. I fully expect now that uh, the pandemic is waning uh, that we may have, we may be lucky enough uh, to have at least a partial menu of events uh, coming up this year, and I'm looking very much forward to competing again. Uh, but I wanted to pick your brains about uh, your secrets. Uh, but before we do that, I, I, can you uh, describe how you made the leap? You were trained uh, as an infectious disease specialist, which could come in kind of handy these days. Uh, right. But now you're fully engaged in uh, integrative and alternative medicine. How'd you make the switch? 
Well, it was kind of by necessity. My, I, I went through several careers. I, I trained as a pediatrician and then I did an infectious disease fellowship and I was a hospital infection control officer doing actually office pediatrics and then hospital infectious disease for both adult and pediatrics. And I did that through the 80s. Um, and I'd always had a interest in acute care. So I was running a, I was co-director of a neonatal intensive care unit. And um, in my residency, I'd done a lot of emergency room moonlighting because uh, when I was a resident, you made $16,000 a year and I had three children and I couldn't make it. <laughs> right. So I, I did that through the 80s. And then in 1990, I, went, I was living in California in San Diego. Um, that's where I did my UC San Diego is where I did my infection, my pediatric and infectious disease training. And I went to, um, we decided to take a sabbatical for six months and take the family to Florida. And, um, I actually thought I'd saved up enough money so that we'd be fine and I wouldn't have to work, but it didn't work out that way. And there was an emergency room, um, job that I saw in the, in the newspaper and I called them up and I'd had enough. ER experience to be board eligible. Um, and they wanted someone who was board certified, but they said, come interview. They were desperate. And I went and interviewed and they liked me and I started working. And then I, I just took on full-time emergency room, um, from 1990 on. Uh, but in 1996, my wife, who's a registered nurse and was always very much into health. And she was going to Jeff Bland lectures. Ah, yes. And I, I just interviewed him a couple of days ago. In fact, yesterday. Okay. <laughs> so I was not, I was, I had been doing Ironman triathlons and I'll back to that story, but yeah. she got, um, so she kept telling me, hey, this guy is the smartest guy I ever heard. You should come and hear these lectures. So um. one day, <laughs> Uh, she dragged me to, to Orlando to go see her one of his lectures. And he, she was right. This, this guy was like, he was amazing. And I loved what he knew. So I got interested. It was also at that time that she had read or heard that mercury amalgams in your teeth are no good and you should get them out. And so she went to a regular dentist and had 14 amalgams removed with no protection. And about six weeks later, Predictably. she yeah, she had a setback. She had a setback, and she got her thyroid started to hurt, and she, um, I I was in the ER. I was at a big community hospital. I knew all the good doctors. I sent her to the endocrinologist. He said she's got Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Her thyroid function is adequate. She doesn't need anything, and there's nothing you can do for it. And he didn't know why she got it. And I didn't either because I didn't associate it with that she'd gotten her amalgams out. I wasn't happy that she did it because I thought leave well enough alone. Right. But I didn't put the two together. And then she started. Now, she's an athlete. She was also a triathlete. And um, she started complaining about right upper quadrant pain. And I did some liver function tests on her and her liver, her STOTPT were elevated. Oh. And I sent her to the liver specialist. And she said, and then he said, She's got some kind of inflammation in her liver. He did viral studies. He did an ultrasound. He couldn't find anything. And he said, well, it's probably the same autoimmune thing that's going on with her thyroid. And then a few weeks later, she wakes up one morning and she's in the bathroom. And she said, you know, I can't lift my arm up. She had weakness of her deltoid muscle. And then on exam, she had weakness of her glute muscle. And um, 
I was like, okay, it goes to the neurologist. And the neurologist says, well, this looks like it could be early MS and she needs steroids and interferon and all this stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't know what's happening, but this is not, this does not make sense to me. Now, at the same time, uh, so my wife owns a home healthcare nursing business. And into the office complex where she, her office was, a guy had moved up from West Palm Beach and on the marquee, it said natural dentistry. Hmm. And one day I went to pick her up because her, uh, uh, and he was walking out to his car and I just stopped and introduced myself. And I said, Hey, natural dentistry, what does that mean? And he said, well, well, I'm a sort of an unusual breed of dentist that feels like the mouth is actually in the body and part of the body. And you never put mercury in a wound. You know, they used to treat, I think they treated Mozart with IV mercury to kill his, whatever he had, syphilis or right. whatever. He had. Was, and yeah. they killed him. So like, we'd never do that. And, you know, if the, if the, if the, if the abdominal surgeon, the general surgeon opens up somebody with belly pain and they see that their blood vessels going to a portion of the colon are blocked and the colon is becoming gangrenous, you can't really leave it in there. You've got to get it out. If someone, a diabetic has a gangrenous toe, you've got to cut it off. He said, but routinely dentists are doing root canal procedures. They're leaving in dead infected teeth. And we don't think that's good medicine. So I said, well, that's interesting. Here's my story. So then I say, here's my wife. She's healthier than can be. She's a podium level triathlete. She gets the mercury out of her teeth. The guy down, you know, down the way. And here's what she's got. And without any hesitation, he said, she's mercury toxic. Yep. There's no one in this town that'll help you. You go to Seattle there's a doctor there and he trains doctors in handling, diagnosing and handling this, and you should go see him. So I looked him up on the internet and I found it and I went and started doing courses with him as Dietrich Klinghardt. Yeah. And I did his, I learned his muscle testing techniques and I learned his detox and I learned neurotherapy and I came back and I treated her based on what he taught me. And within four or five months, all of her symptoms were better. Her thyroid. They say necessity is the mother of invention. And in this case, uh, you know, there was a silver lining to the cloud. It launched you in an entirely new career direction. Exactly. And so I, we had friends that were sort of watching this. And when she got better, they started calling me and saying, hey, you know, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. Do you think you could help me? And I've got ulcerative colitis and blah, 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 migraine headaches. I said, I have no idea. Like, I'm not sure I really know what I'm doing. I have a success rate of one, but I'm doing, I'm in an emergency room and it's shift work. So I'm seven in the morning till seven at night, three or four days a week, Tuesday afternoon. And then my wife had an extra room in her, in her uh, nursing office. So I said, I'll be there Tuesday afternoon. I have my, all my test kits and stuff and come on in there and we'll just play. I can't charge you because I'm not sure I know what I'm doing, but it grew like it just mushroomed into a very busy practice um, within a year and I left the emergency room and um, uh, then we had a move and we got a new facility with you know 9,000 square feet and it, it just it just mushroomed and I went to ACAM and I learned chelation and I went and spent uh, 175 hours with Dr. O'Meara up in New York mm -hmm. and learned his his stuff and I went all over 
and then she got the bug. I mean, she already had the bug. I, I caught it. And then so at least a weekend a month, we were going various places to just learn what we could because we were seeing patients with complex problems and we were having a ball because usually we could help people and it was lots of fun to do it. And that's sort of how I got there. Wow. That's an amazing story. But, you know, it also sounds like you're an extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily energetic individual to begin with. I mean, you know, uh, ER work and then uh, on top of that, extracurricular activities and all the while you're training. So do you think that uh, the secret to your athletic uh, performance is, you know, simply genetics, you know, that you're extraordinarily <laughs> gifted and always no, been a good athlete? No, no, it's the opposite. I have done genetic testing from four different labs mm -hmm. and I have not printed out any of them because my genetics are really bad. <laughs> All my relatives, grandfather, father, brother, um, have had or died of cardiovascular disease, hypertension, diabetes, my brother and sister, other brother and sister has diabetes. My brother has had uh, three stints and four bypasses. He has diabetes. No, my, my family history is, t is bad. And I make it a point not to look at my genetics because they just make me depressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean because, you know, you see, you know, all these liabilities. And then we have to remind ourselves that it's a lot about what's called epigenetics, which is the environment, what you do, your lifestyle habits, the nutrients you take, and so on. It is. And I think I've just been able to maximize my epigenetics through, you know, trial and error. And then, you know, when, my, when I was in my first year of medical school, my dad had a, a near-fatal heart attack. And... I had been doing sort of regular sports and it sort of scared me. And I went to, I started running and, uh, I was, uh, and that was at the university of Wisconsin. And when I finished med school, we moved to San Diego where I was going to do my residency. And, uh, Frank Shorter had just won the Olympic marathon or he was silver medalist in the Olympic marathon. And in San Diego, there was a running boom. This was 1974. And uh, I was in the hospital 80 hours a week doing my residency, but the, but, but I got, but there was a very excitement there about running and outside and athletics. And so I trained for the San Diego marathon and I did it and I did, you know, four more marathons after that. And I, I loved it. I loved the fitness. And then one afternoon, my best friend and I were uh, Saturday afternoon, we're watching wide world of sports. And they had on the episode where Julie Moss, who lived in San Diego, it was the Ironman triathlon. It was the first time they filmed it. Mm -hmm. um, she was about 100 yards from the finish line. She was winning. And you, many of the people probably have seen the clip because it's been played millions of times of her stumbling. And she tried to crawl and she tried to get up. And then she started to walk more. And then another girl from San Diego named Kathleen McCartney went by her and won the race. And I'm watching this with my friend, this struggle to like survive and make it. And we both looked at each other and we said, we've got to do that race. Yeah, it's really epic. I mean, just the, the agony uh, of uh, that supreme exertion uh, and, you know, the drama of that, you know, just that 
ultimate event. Because for listeners, you know, let's tell listeners what an Ironman triathlon is, because a lot of people know what a marathon is. It's extraordinary to be able to do a marathon. Very few people have done it. I've done it once. Don't think I want to do it again. It's pretty arduous. You you seem to be more uh, accustomed to it. But take a marathon and then add what to it that constitutes an Ironman triathlon. So an Ironman triathlon is a swim, which is 2.4 miles, and then a bike ride, which is 112 miles. Yeah, and the, I mean, the swim is, by the way, often in the open water. And yeah. having so been in these <laughs> events, it's a little bit like uh, like a, a school of piranhas. You know, you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're sw- people are swimming over you. You're swimming over other people. People are kicking you in the face. It, it ain't pretty sometimes. Sometimes it's in choppy water. So it's it's not like you know an ordinary pool swim either. Oh no! I mean in Kona, <clears throat> where the Ironman is, when you swim out, you swim out 1.2 miles Whoa. straight out into the ocean, and then there's a boat there, and you go around the boat and you swim back. And when you get out there and you look back, you that's a long way. <laughs> and <laughs> you feel like you've just ocean. been in a shipwreck. <laughs> I mean it's open ocean, and I have been there where there was a hurricane somewhere in the South Seas. And where the swell is maybe 8, 10, 12 feet. So you are, you know, when you're at the bottom of the swell, all you see is a a wall of water 12 feet above your head. You can't (laughs) actually see where you are. And then when when you come up to the top of the swell, you can get a, a, you know, maybe a second or two sighting of which direction you're supposed to go. And um, so it can be very challenging. And it's... um, and and that's what terrifies most people because if in 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 Hawaii everyone lines up either uh, neck deep in water or on the shore and the gun goes off and there might be twenty five hundred or three thousand people that are trying to get somewhere so you're right it can be you know unless you decide I'm just going to wait until everybody gets in the water and go late or go very wide um, it's like being in a sardine can where you can't really stop because the guy in back of you is going to come over the top and you might get, you know, you might hit an arm hit you or somebody's hitting on your legs all the time. So it's a, it's a, it's a mental and physical, um, struggle. And then like in Hawaii, the 112 miles on a bike where it's windy and, and it's very hot, it's, it's hard and then run a marathon. So it's a, it's an epic day for someone to do it and finish, you know, train for it and do it and finish it. And it's funny because the first time I did the race, it was 1982. You know, after we looked at each other and said, we got to do the race. What he said to me was this friend of mine, he had just started a financial services business. He said, and I was new in practice. I was two years into a new pediatric infectious disease practice. And he said, uh, okay, we're going to do this. I said, yeah. And we shook hands and he said, listen, you give me all your extra money and in five years we'll both be independently wealthy and then we'll train and we'll do the race. And I said, good. And then I went to bed that night and I couldn't sleep. And I thought the last time I gave someone money, they <laughs> lost. and I can't wait five years. And I woke up the next morning and I, I called the YMCA and joined the Y. Now I was a good swimmer. I had been a lifeguard in, in college. Uh, so I had swimming experience and uh, I'd run marathons, so I thought I could do that. And I looked in the literally looked in the San Diego Union Times, and I found a used ten-speed bicycle. And I went <laughs> over to the guy's house, and I bought the bike. 
Right. And I started training for this was this was in February of '82, and on um, October 6th of '82, I was in Hawaii on the line, wow. ready to do that race. That's pretty and amazing I mean, because you're you know, probably yeah. on a, um, you know, an aluminum frame Peugeot, you know, one of those white Peugeots with the thin tires, uh, that is, you know, so antiquated by today's standards. Um, so, right. the but the challenge is to maintain that high level of performance, and you know, just forgetting even the Ironman, which is the ultimate competition. Well, why is it that um, individuals as they age uh, drop out of these types of events? I mean, it's it you, it's increasingly rarefied uh, age group. You're not going to see that many people in the seventy plus age group. Uh, so, is it? motivation? Is it muscle weakness? Is it cardiovascular problems? Is it, you know, what changes and how do you push back against those physiological changes? Um, I think it's a mixture. I mean, I think in my case, I didn't have great genetics, but I sort of figured out what foods worked for me and what supplements worked for me. So that helped. Um, It's also just sort of dedicated stubbornness and 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 want to to go up against obstacles that are tough because in my universe that's fun and um and i think that's helped a lot like you know it's funny because sometimes you talk to people who are 70 you know in my age group and they pretty much decided at age 45 that they were old and they were going to take it easy and I always decided, I didn't know for sure, but I can tell you looking back, is that I have just as much want to and energy and desire to perform as good as I can now and compete with the guys that are in my age group now. Now, we're not doing this for money and we're not even doing it for bragging rights. We're just doing it because it's fun to have 20 other guys your age groups there saying, Guys, we're going to have a good time today, and we're going to do the best we can. And thank goodness you are here because we've got a game. And people at 40 think or 20 think that that will burn out of you. And what I found is it doesn't. It's just as strong in me now as it was when, you know, I wanted to break three hours in a marathon when I was Hmm. 35 years old. So it's, I think that's a big part of it. So what gets me up every day is I just enjoy the training. I enjoy the competition and I enjoy being able to, to, you know, I'm working as hard now as I've ever worked. I have multiple businesses. I see patients, um, 40 hours a week. I have a very busy practice. I'm, you know, I'm writing books and I'm speaking a lot and it just is, it's just, I think the attitude of oldness is a mindset and that if you can keep your mindset on keeping producing, you can live old and have fun and die at an old age, but feel young. So certainly there's a mental component and you certainly embody that to a very high degree, to an exceptional degree. But in part two, because we're going to pause now, we divide our podcast into two parts. I want to talk about some of the things that people can do to sustain high levels of performance on the material level. Let's assume that they have, like you, 
that high level of motivation to stay fit. But as they sometimes say, this, if the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and the flesh sometimes does succumb to the ravages of aging. So how to uh, fend those off, that'll be the subject in part two. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's guest is uh, Dr. David Minkoff, uh, who is the medical director of the LifeWorks Wellness Center. Uh, I think that's in Clearwater, Florida. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, an accomplished triathlete about to embark on uh, yet another season of uh, Ironman uh, triathlon training. This is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.